In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today we celebrate the feast of St. Catherine of Siena. And a few, few words for this morning uh, as we, we contemplate and meditate on the beautiful example of the life of St. Catherine. She was born on March 25th, in 1347, exactly during the outbreak of the Great Plague there in Siena. The Great Plague, the death, Black Death that, um, of course, um, affected the whole Europe for about four years, four to five years, Great Plague with millions of death across Europe. At that time, Siena was quite a thriving metropolis, especially in 1340. And with the plague, Siena, the city of Siena in Tuscany, about two hours from our international seminary in Florence, Siena died and never ever recovered from the plague, the Black Death. Its economy, its fame, was never the same. She limped along, her cathedral never finished, her economy never reached its past economy. And this is the atmosphere in which our dear Catherine was born. She was one of 25, 25 siblings, but unfortunately half of her siblings died uh, before reaching um, childhood. She was the youngest of this big family, and she had a twin sister, but same uh, with half of her siblings. Her twin sister died very, very early on. Catherine was very, very early on naturally very generous, always trying to help the family, and of course, very humble as well from very early age. At 21 years old, she had a mystical experience, a very profound and mysterious spiritual experience. What she called later her mystical marriage to Christ. During that mystical experience, she received the stigmatis as some other saints, but not in a visible manner, but in an invisible way, she would suffer as Christ himself suffered in these five wounds. Again, she was only 21 years old when experiencing this mystical marriage with our Lord. She would consecrate herself very early on as well to other people, to poor people especially, visiting hospitals, visiting poor people on the streets. And quickly, she begins her travels, and she begins writing a lot, many letters, as we know, many exhortations, rebukes against the immoral attitude, behavior of the clergy, the decadent society, and of course also the immoral life of many princes, nobles, and kings at that time. It's interesting to notice that after these four years, five years of great plague in Europe, how the society went down very quickly after that, thinking that the danger was behind them and now trying to rejoice 
uh, in, of course, things, uh, objects that were not good for them. Maybe a lesson for us uh, in the years to come. So quickly, once again, she starts writing and pointing at the bad behaviors uh, that she would witness in her society. And here is a letter she wrote to a layman who would later become king of Naples. She says, But be aware that you cannot do this well. You cannot be courageous and come to the help of Holy Church unless you first fight and make war against our three chief enemies, the world, the devil, and our weak flesh. These are the three chief tyrants that kill our soul so far as grace, grace is concerned, no matter what our position. If we use the hand of our free choice to open the gate of our will and let them in. Once again, exhortation to fight against the three enemies, which is a very traditional teaching of the Church. Nothing new here for St. Catherine, but simply reminding that we have to fight daily, constantly, against the three enemies, the world, the devil, and ourselves. Any attachment, any um, tendency we have to look at these enemies and to always try to negotiate with them, to accept their false uh, offers, offerings, the world, the devil, and the weak flesh. The weak flesh, especially, as St. John of the Cross says, he says the world is less difficult and the devil more difficult to understand. But the flesh is the most obstinate of all and the last to be overcome together with the old men. Of course, mentioning, referring here to the writing of St. Paul, we have to take off these old men. First of all, ourselves, our nature always pulled down because of original sin, because of concupiscence, because of this attraction to things that are easier for us to accept, to receive, where there is not much, you know, to fight for. So ourselves, to remove, to take off this old man, so as to uh, vest ourselves, so as to put on the new man, a new creation, a new creature, thanks to grace that always not suppresses nature, always present in us, but elevates nature to a supernatural level, supernatural level. And St. John of the Cross continues, he says, if we did not conquer the three, we shall never perfectly conquer one. And if we conquer one, we shall also conquer the others in the same proportion. It is also here, as St. Thomas Aquinas reminds us, the beauty of a moral life when we look at virtue versus vices. We know from St. Thomas that virtues are connected, interconnected, because they all participate in that one goodness, God himself. Whereas uh, supernatural virtues, whereas uh, vices, luckily for us, are not connected. I can be a good thief, it doesn't mean necessarily that I am uh, a liar, or that I am, you know, greedy, or whatever other vice you can think about. Whereas for virtues, if I start working on one particular virtue, 
I know that all the other virtues will grow together in my soul at the same time. I can focus my efforts on the virtue of humility, and we're going to talk about it. Well, naturally, all the other virtues will grow with it. Charity, patience, uh, generosity, uh, you know, I will be just, I will be tempered, whatever virtue you can think of. Because once again, they all participate to that one goodness, to God Himself, when of course practice in a spirit, in a supernatural spirit, you know, with in view the eternal kingdom to come. Going back to our dear Catherine of Siena, she also wrote to Pope Gregory the Eleventh in February 1376. Interesting quote here. I see the infernal wolf carrying off your little sheep, and there is no one to rescue them. So I am turning to you, our Father and Shepherd, begging you in the name of Christ crucified. And she knows what she's talking about. Remember, she has been marked with the stigmatis as well. In the name of Christ crucified, to learn from him who with such blazing love gave himself up to the shameful death of the Most Holy Cross to save this little lost sheep, the human race, from the devil's hands. Because of its rebellion against God, here are the devils, holding this sheep as their own possession. That helps us to understand a little bit uh, the meaning of suffering here on earth. The meaning of why uniting ourselves to Christ on the cross. Why considering what we are going through today, maybe as like a, a curse in certain way that God allows for us to remind us, look, you have been putting me aside for too long. Now go back to me. Societies, churches, families, anybody, everybody, come back to me. You have been neglecting my presence, the presence of your king. And I allow this suffering, this pain to come over your society Maybe to remind you that you have to come back to me. Extraordinary means that are given us to unite ourselves to Christ on the cross. And finally, another beautiful quote of St. Catherine when uh, writing about her country, Italy, that we should, of course, apply not only to Italy, but to our own uh, society today. Pray to, she says, Pray for unhappy Italy, which was so dear to thee, and which is so justly proud of its saint of Siena. Impiety and heresy are now permitted to run wild through the land. To run wild through the land. The name of thy spouse is blasphemed. The people are taught to love error and to hate what they had hitherto venerated. The church is insulted and robbed. Faith has no long since been weakened, but now its very existence is imperiled. Intercede for thy unfortunate country, dear saint. Oh, surely it is time to come to her assistance and rescue her from the hands of her enemies. The whole church hopes in thy effective deliverance of this her illustrious province. Delay not 
but calm the storm which seems to threaten a universal wreck. Extraordinary mean, extraordinary situation require extraordinary means, as we know. She was entrusted with a special mission to point at all the immoral behaviors, as we mentioned, of our society, of our church, the clergy, and princes of, our, of, of, of the, the kingdom. She was entrusted with a special, extraordinary mission. But this special mission entrusted to her, of course, she didn't choose to act so. Spiritual authors, and as we read in the breviary this morning at Matin, says that her knowledge about faith and the, the situation in general was infused in her soul. There was no acquired knowledge here, acquired wisdom. It was not through her own efforts, but simply thanks to God's grace that she was able to understand truly the whole faith and to explain it in the right way and in an extraordinary way as well. If we look at her letters, very strong, very powerful letters, very powerful exhortations. But again, that was thanks to a grace given from God and not her own little personal efforts. No true humility, with no true humility, no lasting fruits for sure. And that is why she was able to touch so many souls, even the Pope himself, himself, because she knew that her mission was not truly hers, but God's mission. Extraordinary situation that requires extraordinary means. To acquire this humility that she was able to acquire very early on in her life, it is necessary to practice great mortification, as she did. Great mortification, great sacrifices, not necessarily difficult sacrifices, but things that truly cost to us. And a little detail of her life shows that this mortification didn't need to be, you know, extraordinary things, but simply considering, as she did, for instance, her parents, as her dad being Christ himself, her mom being her, uh, Our Lady herself, and her siblings, especially her brothers, she would consider them as the apostles themselves. These little things, as a child, as a child, of course, truly impacted her uh, way of looking at other and how to acquire uh, humility in these simple ways. That gives you an idea of how quickly she became truly humble by looking in others as Christ will look into our souls. 90% of the time, I'm afraid to uh, admit that, 90% of the time in our conversation, in our speech, in our, the way we correct others, there is no true humility and a lot of pride is mixed to it, a lot of selfish interest which makes the correction maybe in fact good in itself or necessary but which make this correction useless, not accepted by others because there is no true humility on our part. If you have feel, felt, and maybe today even more, if you, if you feel that you have been entrusted with a special mission, you know, to correct others, either within the family or on a bigger scale of society, if you feel that you have been entrusted with a special mission to correct others, your neighbor, to rebuke somebody because of his bad or her bad behavior, well, take a minute before doing it, or 
even considering it. Take a minute and examine your own conscience. See, try to see how much true humility you have in your soul. How much charity truly in your soul. These two special virtues, virtues, humility and charity, how much do they actually guide your actions or not? You are not sure how humble you are. Well, here is a good thermometer that you can use to help you see how humble you are. This is a thermometer that was given each one of us at the seminary, especially by our superiors. Our prior general would very often remind us to use this thermometer. I want to see how humble I am. Let's see how sensitive I am when accepting others' corrections. My superiors or family members, my parents, my siblings, or people at work, how do I accept these corrections? Am I extremely sensitive? You know, do I become these passions boiling in me? Or do I, you know, accept them with a spirit of humility, with a spirit of truly wanting to change myself? Or on the contrary, once again, when I receive these corrections, do I let all these passions, this turmoil, uh, take over in my soul? Not only maybe even internally, but also externally as well. This will be a good thermometer to see how humble I am. I am humble, therefore I am not as sensitive to what others say. Sensitive, of course, in the way that you know I let myself be totally um, shaken and destabilized with what they say. But I should be sensitive to it in the sense that Yes, truly, I need this correction, and I need to correct myself and accept it. So a good thermometer to see how humble I am. And also another little thermometer is how easily do I fall into sins of impurity, for instance. Most of the time, very selfish and self-centered sins. In perfect opposition with true humility and distrust of oneself. Many spiritual authors remind us that to acquire uh, purity, to be always pure, we need humility. Humility is the safeguard of the virtue of, of purity. So once again, if I want to be able to make the necessary corrections that uh, maybe I was entrusted to, to, to do or to make, well, first of all, I have to consider how truly humble I am. First, how sensitive I am regarding others' corrections. And second, how often do I fall into sins of impurity, grave or small? St. Augustine reminds us of the necessity of examining oneself, you know, before making correction. And this is a parenthesis that I, I give you, this daily examination of conscience before going to bed. Take two or three minutes very quickly. Don't do more than that because you might fall into scruple. But uh, just two or three minutes to look back at the day and see what you have done wrong, what you have done good, and how you have been, how faithful you have been in regard to maybe the daily resolution you have taken. Very good practice of humility here, to acknowledge my weaknesses, to see better, you know, like a, a doctor examining the, 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 the patient, but looking every day into my conscience and see how I can improve for the next day. So here St. Augustine says, when we have to find fault with anyone, we should think whether we were never guilty of his sin. And then we must remember that we are men as well, and might have been guilty of the same sin, or that we once had it on our conscience, but have it no longer. 
And then we should thank ourselves that we are all weak in order that our reproof may be the outcome not of hatred, but of pity." End of quote. So once again, if either no true charity nor sincere humility, then the temptation is great to fall into gossip or slender detraction calumny while correcting others. And the fruits you will harvest from such a hard work will simply be hatred, anger, pride, and inordinate self-complacency. St. Thomas Aquinas explains, if we find that we are guilty of the same sin, we must not rebuke him, but groan with him, and invite him to repent with us. It follows from this that if a sinner reprove a wrongdoer with humility, he does not sin, nor does it bring a further condemnation on himself, although thereby he proves himself deserving of condemnation, either in his brothers or in his own conscience, on account of his previous sin. And that, of course, invites us to once again meditate on the words of St. Paul himself on this matter. He says, Brethren, if a man is found guilty of some fault, you who are spiritually minded ought to show a spirit of gentleness in correcting him. Have an eye upon thyself. Have an eye upon thyself. It goes back to the daily examination of conscience, this eye upon myself. Have an eye upon thyself, though too well perhaps encounter temptation. Bear the burden of one another's failings. Then you will be fulfilling the law of Christ. The man who thinks he is of some worth, when in truth he is worth nothing at all, is merely deluding himself. Everyone should examine his own conduct. Then he will be able to take the measure of his own worth. No need to compare himself with others. Each of us, then, will have his own load to carry. So St. Catherine of Siena today, teach us true mortification, which lead us to true humility, acknowledging the necessity to keep our body and mind in servitude, in slavery, in order to rebuke in us all evil and inordinate passions, attachments. The purity of heart, mind and body, that you have kept and cherished is for us like a glance of the state awaiting for us in the other lives to come. If we remain faithful as you did to our Lord, Master and Redeemer, Christ the Emmanuel, Amen. Saint Catherine of Siena, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost, Amen.